Welcome to this week's They Think It's All Over, the football shirt show, where I'm afraid we haven't got Ronaldo. Hey, yo, what's up? Yeah, we couldn't get him this week. What do you mean? Sorry, it's just Tom, Mike and Scott as usual. Stop, don't do this to me. I mean, they're really good. Are y'all serious? Weird. No, bro, no, 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 no. I mean, Scott's miserable, but he's funny. No, bro, no. You can't lie. So Ronaldo's not playing? No, it's Tom, me, Mike and Scott. He's not here? Sorry, no. Oh, y'all don't understand. I travel all the way to America, man. All the way. Just to see this guy, bro. Have you never met him? No. You should try Gary Neville. He's his friend. Where's Gary at? Don't worry about Gary. Here's our show. Welcome to episode 45 of the Football Shirt Show. How are we all, gentlemen? Good, thank you. Splendid, yeah. Thanks to Garnacho. Yeah, really good. Thanks, AD. Good to see you back, Tom. How was your date night or exercise classes last week? It was fireworks, actually, because I f***ing hate dogs. Oh, we're not allowed to swear. <laughs> oh, that's right, Tom. You're not allowed to swear. So a couple of reasons you can't swear. We've got uh, we've got a special guest on this week who is not yet of age. We've got the excellent Joe Bryan along with his dad, Phil. You'll know him as at Away Day Joe underscore. We've got Joe coming up and he's not quite, you know, an age where we can swear at the moment. So if we could keep it down, please, gentlemen, that would be much appreciated. Is that OK? I think we can get through just this week. We have also had our first complaint emailed through to the podcast around our language so for another reason we need to keep our language under control uh, i'm gonna share that with you as well actually hello lads it's tom's granddad here i'm a big fan of the show love it i love football shirts but to me they're only a color didn't realize how interesting how many things there are involved in the modern day football shirts to me they were just a color mainly blue and then yellow, Chelsea and Sun United. But a great show, keep going boys. But anyway, another thing I'd like to say is Tom, my grandson who I'm very proud of, never swears. Well, he does occasionally on your podcast, which is a bit disillusioning for me. But anyway, try and keep it PC boys. Thanks, all the best. I shall I should keep listening in. Keep going boys. Ta-la. I mean... <laughs> I can confirm that is him. I think it's about time I uh, come clean to you fellas. And my granddad is actually Ray Winston. <laughs> <laughs> How have you got him to do that? Well, you know, I've got contacts, Tom. All right. Message received loud and clear. No swearing. The other thing he said is it would be nice if you could go and visit him every now and then. It has been a few years. <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> not true. I saw him the other day. He kept this quiet. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, let's move swiftly on then. Let's go on to this week's news. There's been a few news items coming out of Germany, haven't there? Yeah, so in in a Bundesliga 2, actually, we're going down a division. There was um, a special shirt released by Nuremberg. Um, I don't know if any of you guys saw it. I think Scott is probably right up your street because it's a special edition and it was boxed, but not numbered, I think, is one of the reasons you said off, off the record you, you weren't too interested. But I think it's a really nice shirt. It's a white out shirt. And all the Adidas logo, the Nuremberg uh, badge and the other details are all whited out. But apart from on the front, it's got in black kind of pencil style writing. It's got Mensch on the front of it, which I believe means human. I believe it's ge- yeah, German for human being. Ah, right. OK. So, yeah. So this is all about their protest, isn't it, Scott? Yeah. So the they'd. They've not said it out loud, but it was implied that it could be taken as a protest to the the upcoming World Cup. And their commercial director, Niels Rosso, actually released a statement that said, as a club from the city of peace and human rights, we see ourselves as having a special responsibility. Right now, we are putting the word human being on the chest of the club jersey and are committed to ensuring that human rights are respected in our dealings with one another, on and off the pitch. We are very pleased that we were able to enter into a very special collaboration with the Academy of Fine Arts Nuremberg for this purpose, and that our sponsors made the realisation of the special jersey possible. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because Denmark tried to do this with their training wear ahead of the World Cup, which was also white. They were denied the, the right to have a human rights message on their shirt by FIFA. But for me, this is a, a message that 
Nuremberg have just put out there without worry of consequence. And it's a much nicer shirt than anything Hummel came up with for Denmark. So big fan of this. And for those of you listening, unfortunately, that shirt has now sold out. As, as Tom mentioned, they only sold, they only made a thousand and they were numbered, but they, they went they went out in less than 12 hours. So they are all gone. It's a, I, I like the shirt, to be honest with you. I thought it was really, really smart. Um, obviously, the message is, is a good one as well. But they weren't the only club in Germany putting out a message this week. Did you guys see any of the other ones? So we had the uh, Dortmund shirt with the rainbow back sponsor. We had Bochum with their uh, basically almost like a blackout shirt again, but just with rainbow detailing on it, a sponsor badge. And the most vocal of the clubs uh, that did it were Borussia Mönchengladbach, who similarly put out a statement, but they were a bit more direct with theirs. So they they put out a rather long statement. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes on for too long, to be honest. Um, but basically... It, the, it didn't the stop, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so so with, with Borussia, they, they put out a tweet and they attached the statement. But even just on a tweet, it said, for the sake of diversity, for the sake of tolerance... Uh, for Borussia, our statement about the World Cup with the rainbow background. And then the sporting director came out and basically said, awarding the World Cup to Qatar was wrong. It isn't in line with our values as a club. Nevertheless, we are pleased for our players who are selected. I won't go to Qatar, but I will follow the games uh, featuring our players from home. And I think it's a bit of an interesting message just before we move on quickly. I, I We've seen a lot of it on Twitter about people kind of saying about how we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing that with the World Cup. Well, I think differently. We FIFA took this World Cup away from us. They, it, it's not our fault. They handed it to a nation that weren't fit to handle it. And we shouldn't be judged and we shouldn't be punished if we decide to either create content or talk about that World Cup. And you certainly shouldn't feel guilty for watching it at home. And I can assure you, I will be. Yeah, it's difficult to get in the spirit of it, but but like you, I think um, I think that German director or spokesman probably summed it up perfectly. I, I will watch it, um, but I'll be watching it from home. I, I'm not going to put my money, put you know, funds into into their pockets in terms of Qatar and the state, um, and I certainly wouldn't be in a position where you know we've been offered sponsorship by some companies that are linked out there, and we we turned it down because we wouldn't want any financial link to the Qatari state either. And we also need to remember that this isn't the first time that this has happened. And, you know, FIFA have been corrupt for years. And there was a lot of migrant workers that lost their lives in Brazil. And then, of course, there was the whole, there was the Russia World Cup where they had similar problems. So, yeah, I completely agree with Mike. You know, the place to hit them is the purse. But do not feel guilty for watching it or talking about it. Because at the end of the day, it's going ahead. The teams are going, the players are going, the World Cup's going to happen. So... And you're going to celebrate it when England go out, aren't you? So, you know. Like I do every single time. Is there anything else in the news this week we want to talk about? Well, there was not a there was a, some exciting news that a news outlet discussed um, that we spoke about three months ago. And that was uh, uh, Adidas and Roma has been confirmed. Ah, yeah. Who, who was that again? What was the outlet? Uh, footy headlines, that was it. Yeah, three months. They normally only take about three days to copy our content, but they took three months this time. Yeah, they were a bit slow. Must be better, boys. Must be better. Right, let's move on. So the rest of the show, we've got brilliant couple of features coming to you this week with uh, Joe Bryant, as I said, at Away Days. Uh, Joe and his excellent Lego set. We also have Joey Durso from The Athletic talking about Away From Home, the excellent podcast documentary following Shakhtar Donetsk. We've got Kit History. We've got Shirt Room 101. But before we get into all of that very, very, very exciting stuff, since the World Cup's about to kick off, why don't you tell me your favourite World Cup shirt of all time? I'm going to put you on the spot. I can go quite quickly and quite easily with this one because for me, it's uh, the 1994 uh, Norway home shirt, the Adidas template with the three stripes up the, the torso. Uh, reason being, A, I absolutely adore the template. It's my favourite template of all time. And B, that is the very shirt that got me hooked on football shirts. When I was 10 years old, first World Cup I ever watched, must have seen it, must have been one of the first games I saw with that shirt. And that was it. I, I was hooked. And from there, I looked at, I, all, I, all I watched the World Cup for was the kits after that. And it's not much has changed since, really. Yeah, I think it's an easy one for me. It goes back to childhood, isn't it? Always your first World Cup. 
98 in France was probably the first one I really properly remember watching. And the France uh, home kit that year is the one for me. If I had to pick one, that, that would be it. Zidane, Petit in that final against Ronaldo, whatever happened to him. Yeah, France 98. And mine's mine's really obvious and probably quite boring, but it's the Germany away from Italia 90. It's just, it's my, it, it's, I, I love the template. And for me, I, I like it better not the Holland one. I, I don't know why. The, the shady green, yeah, favourite shirt. That's two very iconic choices. And Mike, I like your choice for a different reason. Probably a bit more off the wall, but nevertheless, a really great shirt. What about you? How about you? Um, <laughs> Give me a spot. Um, I'm going to say the Italy from 1994. Um, I do like the England 1990 as well, but I can't be honest. I do. I did watch that World Cup. But I don't necessarily remember watching it, if that makes sense. But um, but yeah, I'll go with those two for me. They allowed? Yeah. yeah. One more follow-up question then. What, which shirt are you looking forward to seeing most this week? I'll go first on this one because I've, mine has changed since they were released. I loved the Germany home at first but I remember when we had Sion and he spoke about these Adidas releases and he said that his favorite was the Spain away and I've seen a couple of them in the Adidas store and in other shops up and down London and the Spain away just pips it for me I think it's weird and it's a brilliant colorway and it looks great and authentic and it looks great in replica the details are not too different and that's the one that I now really want to get and I'm quite looking forward to seeing yeah, I think they kept the heat press badge on the stadium version of that, haven't they? So, yeah, um, it, apart from the material itself, the rest of the details are almost identical. So I think a good job. Yeah, they get knocked out. I could be tempted to pick that up in the Adidas sale. How about you, Scott, Mike? For me, it's probably Mexico. Like I I love the, the Germany shirts, but the Mexico, both the home and away, look incredibly good this year. And not only that, I think one of the things I love about the World Cup is the sort of like um, uh, the unlikely matchups that you get. So, I mean, in their group, they've got Saudi Arabia, Poland and Argentina. So I think, you know, the, even just the, the, some of the kit matchups that you see, that that's what I look forward to. I love it. So for me, my shirt's not changed since the day all the leaks and all the releases come out, and it's the first shirt I bought was the Brazil away. My only worry is that it won't get used because I, I don't, it won't be used in the group, um, and so the chances of it being brought out could be very slim. Who have they got in the group, Scott? Remind us all. So they've got Cameroon, which would obviously be their green home shirt, Switzerland, um, which would be red, against the yellow and then Serbia is the other one so uh, unless they do it specifically it, it won't be a colour clash Who could they clash with in the tournament? Is it only the Netherlands? Ecuador, Australia Netherlands and people are not going to agree with me I think that group's a potential slippery group for Brazil to get out of personally Well I don't, I don't agree I think they're going to win the tournament but there we go <laughs> I, I I think I, I, they've got an age in defence and I don't know I, obviously I spoke to you boys in, in the, the, the DMs before about it I, I can't see them getting anywhere near the trophy but hey weirder things about Mike, Tom, who are your picks? Come on, let's come on in let's quickly uh, do this let's I can't see past Brazil I, I think uh, yeah, ageing but Thiago Silva is like a fine wine my friend and then they've got the best forward line in the tournament for me, it's France. They're, they're still, the, the, for me, the strongest squad, the strongest individual players, the best team there. I can't see any defence coping with their attack. And then they've got an incredible defence as well. So, yeah, for me, hard to look past France. Well, we'll see. I'm going to go for Argentina. I think the first World Cup since Maradona died, I can see Napoli winning Serie A and Argentina winning the World Cup. But as for that Brazil away shirt, I wouldn't rule it out, Scott. Believe it or not, money has been known to influence the 2022 World Cup before. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. night calling for it. But there we go. Right, let's move on then. And let's move on to this week's features. First up, we've got Joey Dalso, who's going to be talking to us about The Athletic's great new documentary, Away From Home. All listeners are aware of the ongoing conflict as Ukraine remains under attack from Russia. 
We've all seen the support various teams and federations have given from bespoke kits, armbands and raising funds for humanitarian efforts. Football's a huge part of society for everyone, including the people of Ukraine. And The Athletic, in conjunction with journalists Adam Crafton and Joey Derso, have explored this in a gripping podcast, Away From Home, where they follow Shakhtar Donetsk over the last 10 months and their journey around domestic and European football. We're absolutely delighted to welcome one half of the podcast team, Joey Derso. Welcome to They Think It's All Over. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really grateful that you've come along and spared the time to talk to us, Joey. We're, I mean, AD's listened to the first couple of episodes. I know he's a huge fan and I haven't got around to doing it yet, but I definitely will because it's a subject that's kind of close to my heart. But I thought we could just go back a little bit first because this journey for Shakhtar started quite a few years ago, didn't it? Absolutely. So if you go back to 2009, which is the year that Shakhtar won the UEFA Cup, they beat Word of Bremen. That was the year that Donbass Arena was opened, the new stadium, 52,000-seater. Um, Beyonce played at the opening ceremony. We actually spoke to a little boy. He was 17. He was five years old then, and he was uh, went on the pitch. Um, and that was, you know, this great new future for Eastern Ukraine. They obviously hosted Euro 2012. Um, England played there, the Donbass Arena. The semi-final was, was there in 2012. Two years later, um, obviously, Russia invaded Crimea and Eastern Ukraine, and Donetsk has been you know, under Russian control that region ever since. So, so Traktor haven't played there since 2014. They moved to Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, and played there for eight years. You know, it's equivalent of, I don't know, Manchester United playing in London or something. And then in February, February the 24th, a date that comes up in every interview that we did, Russia invaded the whole of Ukraine, including Kiev and, and Shakhtar, um, well, kind of moves all over the place. We spoke to the academy in Croatia. We spoke to the team in, in Warsaw in Poland, which is... A very long way from Donetsk. It's actually closer to Brussels than Donetsk, um, Warsaw wow. is. So it's a really long way from home. Um, and the, but the Ukrainian league actually re- restarted in August. So some of these players have been playing, you know, in Western Ukraine in, on a Saturday, going to Poland on a Tuesday, just constantly moving for two, three months. And we had sort of complete access to the team from the director of football, the manager, loads of players. We interviewed lots of them. So what has the atmosphere around the club been like for the last 10 months? Because like you, you've said, it's, it's hard to imagine a more testing period, either for a football club or just for people on a personal level. So what did you find when you spoke to them there? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole range of emotions. I mean, most of the foreign players simply left. Um, Shakhtar Donetsk has traditionally been this sort of gateway into Europe for particularly Brazilian players. You know, it's a way of getting in the Champions League of players like Fernandinho at Man City or Willian at um, Chelsea and other clubs. A bunch of those foreign players very understandably said, I don't want to play in Ukraine anymore when the war started, which meant they're left with this almost entirely Ukrainian team, um, a very young team. And, uh, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik is a sort of standout superstar um, who's certainly, if you haven't heard of him yet, you will do very soon. He's been linked with lots of big clubs around Europe. Um, so it was a real sort of, you know, backs against the wall effort of trying to, do it for their country. I mean, I, I don't think I'm giving too much away if I <laughs> say how the podcast ends. I mean, they, they 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 didn't quite make it into the knockout round. They did qualify for the Europa League and all the kind of highs and lows along the way there. And in terms of our youth academy and creating new, young, exciting players, the academy itself has been moved to a completely different country. It's now in split in Croatia. And as we can hear here, you spoke to some of the younger players about the move and the upheaval and what it meant to them. Hello, my name is Nazar. I live in Kiev. My favorite football player is Carlos Puyol. On the football field, I play centre-back. In the split, I like fact that here we have the opportunity to play football. People in Croatia are kind and helpful. I miss my parents and our academy. I really want to go back to Ukraine. I talk to my friends and parents every day. When the war started, we all woke up very early and no one understood anything. Everyone had a panic. Then we were in our bunker and we were all taken out a week later in Croatia. I'm very happy that Shakhtar reached the Champions League. I wish them good luck. And how is that atmosphere? I mean, again, you know, it's not a spoiler. I think we all follow Champions League football closely enough. But did you join them for a couple of the games as well? Yeah, so I went to the, the, the match. They very nearly beat Real Madrid in, in Warsaw and they were... Um, winning 1-0 they scored just after half time and they were they looked better than Real Madrid frankly it wasn't some sort of bats against a wall 10 men behind part of the bus and nick one off a corner they looked better they, they were passing it around they were, you know Modric and Tony Cruz and Benzema were, didn't look as good and then in the 96th minute Antonio Rudiger 
called a header. So that and that really shifted the momentum in the group. Leipzig were always kind of sniffing at the heels and 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 somehow Shakhtar beat Leipzig 4-1 on the first match day and then by the end they just sort of ran out of perf. And we know you managed to spend quite a bit of time with Darius Serna, the former Croatia international. He's now a director at Shakhtar Gnesk and this is what he had to say. For me they're a hero, you know, to play with Sarins, training with Sarins, with Bomb, with this whole travel. Yesterday we start to, to travel 11.30 from Livovo, we arrive in hotel 10 o'clock in the evening. But this is our, no one of them didn't say nothing bad, I'm tired, I'm not tired. We know what we must do. We are playing for Ukraine, for fans of Shakhtar, we are playing for Donetsk, for Donbas for Kherson, for all Ukraine. We want to give some positive emotion from the pitch to our to our uh, citizens, to whole Ukraine, the whole Ukrainian army. But I also went to Glasgow to Celtic away. I was in the away end for that, which was a, an amazing experience because, I mean, in a way it's quite sad. Like traditionally a game like that, you'd have a huge, you know, you'd have sort of the ultras, you'd have the pyros, you'd have the chants, and it, it wasn't that at all. It was mainly refugees, mainly... Ukrainians who happened to be in Scotland it wasn't the sort of you know they weren't singing the Shakhtar songs because frankly they didn't know them but it was yeah it was amazing being there and just the sort of pride I think my main kind of takeaway from all is just that football is you know of course it's trivial compared to these things but it's it's sort of beautifully trivial it's 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 a way that people can be distracted from the horrors you know I I, after the full time in Glasgow it finished 1-1 and I chatted to some people and one woman and her son, who must have been about ten, um, there, his dad, her husband was was on the front line, and they sort of said, you know, I'll go home and send him messages. He's back in his bunker, but we've had a great evening, and we haven't had many great evenings in the past six months. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, we had some family stay with us who were from Kiev, and the the, the games, Ukraine games against Scotland at Hamden, they just took such a an evening to enjoy themselves, which which was a rare thing for them over the summer. But just going back to to Shakhtar then. How easy is it for these players to stay motivated for these big Champions League games, for the league games, amidst all the horrors that are going on? Yeah, so we've got um, we've had access to team talks and things like that, and it's a real motivating factor. You know, if you listen to it, it's about we're doing it for Ukraine, we're doing it for um, our country. It's a, I think it's been a huge motivating factor, but frankly, it is distracting. You know, um, the hotel the night before the game, they're not necessarily watching their, their their training videos they're scrolling through social media to see if their family and friends are still alive um that does emotionally and mentally completely take its toll you can only begin to imagine in terms of you know from a player being a professional athlete and you know want to go out and do their job but the distraction like you say you know are their friends and family in danger have they been harmed yeah, i can, can only imagine yeah, and we spoke to one, Ivan Petriarch, who I think you've got the clip. Um, his father-in-law was sadly killed, um, you know, just, just weeks or months before he was playing in the Champions League. And there's so many other stories like that. Has there been any impact of people you know, anyone you know that has been injured? or? Oh, this, this is a very difficult question. My, my wife's father, he died. Oh. They killed him. I'm so sorry. Yes. He was close to Donetsk, close to Shakhtar house, and they killed him there. And you just received a phone call to tell you this is what happened? Yeah, yeah I know, I know. I spoke with the, with the soldiers. Like, I know what's happened there. I know everything, and my family know everything, my wife also. Um, I imagine, I know you're now playing football again, but do you almost feel like you're playing not only football but also playing for your country and for him his memory and everything of course of course and I scored last goal in Hungary I scored in conference league goal and it was it was for him you know in terms of the club is being displaced like you said since 2014 what's it like for the players are they kind of traveling as a as a club or do they have a base yeah so they have the the Shastliva which is near Kiev is the original training base they're sort of back and forth to there. There's also they've been playing Western Ukraine, so like Lviv, and then Warsaw, and they have a training pitch there. But frankly, they've just been on a coach for for ten weeks. You know, they they very rarely stay somewhere for more than two nights, which is just I think completely exhausting. And these distances are big distances. You know, Kiev to Warsaw is far. You know, it's like I don't know London to Spain or something. It, it's a long, long way, and it's just really tiring. And if you compare that with you know Real Madrid, what's their preparation before a Champions League match? You know, they're not sitting on a bus for hours and end, are they? They're having the absolute top-notch facilities, whatever massages, therapies, whatever. It's just a huge difference. 
I mean, the access that you've been able to get, the two of you, is, is really incredible. How did that come about? Yeah, well, it was Adam Crafton, my colleague, doing really. I think he just, um, when the war came about, just sort of dropped someone there a message uh, speculatively. And they were like, you know, great, let's chat. <laughs> We'd love some coverage, which is really different to usual with football clubs. Usually football clubs are pretty guarded. You know, you might have off-the-record conversations with, with people. Um, you might get put up an interview with a player, which is all quite controlled. But this was just like, you know, talk to everyone, um, which is quite an amazing experience, obviously in covering the war, but also from a football perspective, getting to go on the plane with players, getting to be in that hotel the night before while they're all having their meal. Um, it's really interesting from that footballing perspective of what it's like to, to to play in these in these competitions. Like you said, I mean, I imagine they're quite desperate to kind of get their story out there and, and across to the rest of the world. And I, I've seen, is it the director of finance, Sergei Palkin? Yeah. I've seen him on the TV recently and he's been very critical of, of FIFA and how they've kind of handled this situation and particularly with the story of players like Manuel Salomon going to Fulham, Fulham. to exit their contracts. Is that something that the club is still worried about in terms of losing some of their star players, like you said? Yeah, that's a big theme in the third episode of our podcast because obviously lots of foreign players very understandably wanted to leave and I don't think anyone you know, objects to that, but... They just want to be paid fairly for those players and they don't believe that FIFA have enabled them to be and that it's this sort of, you know, everyone's putting their blue and yellow lights around the stadium, which doesn't cost them anything. But when it comes to the hard business of football, are they trying to effectively pick up a bargain off the back of the Ukraine war? And now they've got this superstar, Mikhailo Mudrik, who I think they're, I think Brentford bid 25, 30 million just before the champ, just before the season, um, which didn't quite go through for various sort of logistical complex reasons but now that price is higher and they want more and he's worth more and they don't want to be lowballed and I suppose now they've got more of a position to, to to hold the line on that I think he will move to to the Premier League or he's been linked with Arsenal a lot and he's you know in all the matters that I've seen he's been completely the standout player I think he's scored four goals in the end maybe a couple of assists absolutely brilliant player 21 years old they're sort of proud of that even if he does move on you know uh, not many people can name many Ukrainian footballers, maybe Andriy Shevchenko, but he is the next superstar. Yeah, and like you said, it's 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 real testament to the club that they've been able to go as far as they did in Europe and still competing in the Europa League. I thought it was interesting hearing uh, the Brighton manager, Roberto De Zerbi, after the Chelsea win, because, of course, he was the Shakhtar Donetsk manager when this invasion took place. And, and he was forced to leave the country. But he was very angry about what had happened in the conference after that win against Chelsea. And, and he said that he, there was a real special team there that he really felt he could do something with. Yeah, and I think everyone's life in Ukraine has been upended, whether you're a footballer, um, obviously if you're fighting on the front line, but literally everyone, people had these hopes, dreams, aspirations, career, education path, and that's all been flipped upside down. And football is just one little insight into that. Yeah, I mean, it really is an incredible story. Everybody out there, I'd implore you to go and take a listen to uh, Adam and Joey's work away from home. We'll share it on the socials, but um, it's a gripping story. It's a big thing out there. And um, the access that you've been able to get is is really eye-opening. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, really, really enjoyed that chat. Like I said, when we were chatting to Joey, it's a a subject that's quite close to my heart. So any spotlight that we can help shine on that, I think is massively worthwhile. And if you haven't listened to the the podcast, it's well worth a listen. The first three episodes are available with more to come soon. And it is genuinely brilliant. So coming next, you have me again, unfortunately. Apologies, listeners. And I was joined by Mike and we spoke to Joe known as Away Day Joe, and we spoke to him about his amazing Bundesliga Lego sets. For today's feature, we got something, well, what I believe is really, really special. We are joined by Joe Bryan. How are you, Joe? I'm good, thanks. You okay? I'm good, mate. I'm good, I'm good. Um, 
just uh, just catching up on your most recent trip. I see you've just got back from Berlin, I believe. Yeah, long drive. Uh, we went to Union Berlin uh, and, well, the stadium's now at Berlin and staying there. So were you there for that amazing 97th minute winner? Yeah, against uh, Gladbach uh, 2-1. It was a great game. That's something that's going to live long in the memory. The celebrations were insane. Probably the best German football game I've seen, probably. So, Joe, for anybody listening who doesn't follow you, do you want to tell them who you are, how old you are, and why we're going to talk to you today? So, hi, I'm Joe. I'm 14, uh, and I build German football stadiums, and I'm trying to complete the Bundesliga. And for anybody who hasn't seen them, they are amazing. Uh, for, for someone with a five, with a five-year-old boy who's just getting into Lego, I, I think they're absolutely incredible. I was just having a little a little look on Instagram at some of the stuff that you've um, you've built. So I'm going to get straight and I've got to ask straight away: How did it start with stadiums? What 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 drew you to to such complex builds? I was building stands around uh, Sabutio pitches out of Lego, and then we were trying to find a, a game when we were on holiday, uh, Ipswich Norwich. And then after we watched that, a load of German fans came came in trying to watch their game. Um, so we stayed around and watched uh, their game and hung out with a load of German fans. Uh, and by that time, I wanted to build full uh, stadiums rather than just stands. So I put the two together and built uh, German football stadiums out of Lego. I mean, again, I've got to say, for anyone that hasn't seen these stadiums, we're not talking your kind of your bog standard Lego kits. These are huge, huge builds. They're they're massive. I mean, how how long does it take you to do one of these? Um, so Union Berlin took four months, um, but Frankfurt took six. So now I've got more advanced with them. I know new skills and stuff like that. There's more parts in them, so they take longer to build because you have to wait for parts to come as well as to build them. I had a quick look through again to refresh my brain of some of the stuff you've done and some of the the ones that I saw. I'll, I'll name the the teams rather than stadium, but you've done Dortmund, Freiburg, Frankfurt, Werder, Hertha, Union Berlin, Wolfsburg. And I believe, was your first one Borussia Mönchengladbach? Uh, yeah, that was uh, slightly less advanced than now. I've learned uh, a lot of new skills since then and they're a lot more complex now. I love the fact you say that that one is is less advanced. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you're trying to build all of the, the, the Bundesliga stadiums at the moment. So I've got to ask, as, as a bit of a Bayern fan, any plans for the Allianz anytime soon? Um, well, obviously I have three left, Bayern being one of them. Um, it has been on the list for a while, but the problem with Bayern is, well, my dad will hate the uh, cost of it because of the uh, size of the Alliance, um, but also the outside shell um, is very much like bubble wrap as such. Um, and Lego's very hard to get to do that. So I'd have to like see what parts could potentially be uh, acting as that outside shell because at the moment, I really don't have any idea how I would do that. But there's many <laughs> others on the list. There's like a long list of Bundesliga 2, English, uh, German that are like all there. So I don't know whether um, which one to build as such at the moment. But I don't have any space uh, in my house like right at the second. Still got to bring them out to Germany. Amazing. So uh, I'll go ask, so which, which is your favourite that you've built so far? Well, all the German stadiums have different features so when we went to Union Berlin we saw the outer four-star eye with a stadium in the forest uh obviously Dortmund Signal Iduna yellow wall um and Frankfurt the hanging scoreboard they all have many different features so I'd say probably one of those three is probably my favorites um but I don't have like a massive like lean towards one as such See, I, I've looked through your YouTube channel. Um, my favourite is the Hertha Berlin, the Olympia Stadium. I think that is just such an iconic stadium. And it's one of my favourite stadiums in real life. So when I saw that, I was just in awe. And if, if you do, don't mind sending piece by piece to my address, please, I'd, I'd gladly give, give you some space. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone asks, um, do you uh, have instructions? How do I build it? And I have to tell them I build it from pictures as such, and I don't have like instructions for these things. They aren't as so, like a Lego set where like it's piece by piece, like set up, like follow it, and then you get the finished piece. I don't think people understand when I say I build it by pictures. They don't. I think they think after I place this brick, I'm like, okay, that brick goes here. Write that down. And I think sometimes sometimes it's like when I say, oh, it's just pictures. They are very um, shocked by that. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I couldn't do it. 
Do you, do you think you could, Mike? Absolutely not. It wasn't too long ago my little boy asked me to build him a castle. It took me the best part of a week and it looked nothing like a castle by the time I was done. So honestly, nothing but respect for what you do. As well as the Lego, you're a bit of a shirt fan like us, aren't you? Yeah, I, I like collecting football shirts. I literally live on football shirts. Like, um, I never really wear like normal shirts or like polos or anything it's always football shirts like my whole wardrobe is just full of them because whenever my friends uh, come over and uh, they see that they are they don't understand why I have so many shirts in there I can see you've got a Werder Bremen shirt behind you and a Frankfurt one and I saw did you get presented with an Union Berlin shirt when you was yeah, in Union they, they presented it and it was really nice and everything but it was kind of like the stadium was staying there and then as a gift, they gave me the shirt and it was a really nice, it's really nice. Um, The shirt is a great shirt. Do you remember what your first ever football shirt was? Uh, Yeah, I think it was about 2011 Ipswich uh, home shirt. That's uh, OK. It's, it's nice. It's nice that your, your first shirt was was the club you support as well. See, this, this is how old I am compared to you, Joe. My first ever football shirt when I was about seven years old was the 1990 West Germany home shirt that they won the World Cup in. That shirt there that you just mentioned would be like my dream shirt um, if I got one. An amazing shirt. It's just brilliant. And have you it ever is. considered putting any players in the stadiums with little customised shirts? Uh, so when I built uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, they sent me uh, customised minifigures uh, with the Frankfurt kiss on them. Um, so I put them in, in the middle of the stadium. Um, so they sent me, uh, the away one, the home one as well. Oh, that, I love that shirt as well. That's one of my, that's one of my favourite shirts the last few years. I was going to say, I know Mike's jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I am jealous. And I also, when I was flicking through your socials, I saw that you had a little Robert Legodowski as well, which, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And also on the, uh, Wolfsburg stadium, they sent me a Wolfsburg player as well. I would like to know the least amount of time you've spent on one of your builds and the most amount of time you spent. So the most amount of time I spent on my on one of my Lego stadiums, Frankfurt, and that took about six months. Um, and then the least amount of time, I think, was about Munchen, uh, Gladbach, uh, Schalke, which was like when I was first starting out there, about two to three weeks. So quite a big uh, difference since when. I know you I know you say the builds are less complex, but for me as someone who, as I've stated, struggles to build the most simplest of things, the fact that you could put something together like that in a couple of weeks is is incredible. It's it's quite it's quite a talent, it really is. It's amazing. And I mean, why stop there, Joe? I mean, Lego builds, perhaps in the future we could see you opening designing a real life stadium. Would you is that something you'd like to do? Yeah, I I've just started my uh, GCSEs this year um, and I've taken engineering and hopefully that can lead to either uh, designing football stadiums or help me with Lego as such. For, for people listening, obviously we've got we've got Joe's dad here. I think we have to give a shout out for dad. I think, you know, you obviously very supportive to what, what Joe does and I think it's it's incredible. He's a very, very lucky boy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a hobby that's started off just just as a small venture wasn't it you said i'll build a stadium and never in a million years could we have ever expected it to kind of snowball the way it has and the popularity that 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 seems to have been generated from it and and now to the point where you know as i said last weekend we were having fantastic treatment from umion berlin in one of the best games of football i've seen in 45 years of watching football and 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 certainly the best atmosphere I've ever seen at the end. And and Joe's like suddenly being treated like a superstar and stopped in the sort of, as he's walking around the stadium because people want pictures with him. It's all a bit surreal really, but, um, but yeah, it's uh, fantastic memories. So obviously I have uh, other shirts as well. Uh, Almami Toure sent one of his shirts, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And he signed it as well on the back and um, yeah, from Frankfurt. And then there's uh, Anderlecht shirt which also was signed uh, and sent from uh, Andalek. And then also I've been sent one from uh, Gladbach uh, with all of the, their players signing that. And also recently when we went to Union Berlin, uh, Kadira, the captain, 
Uh, he gave me his shirt uh, match worn straight after the game. No doubts about legitimacy with that one. No, I remember I picked it up um, <laughs> and it was uh, soaking wet as well. It's been really, really good chatting to you, Joe. Honestly, um, it, what, as I say, just just to, to kind of reiterate, what what you do is incredible and the, the talent involved is is just insane so yeah absolute props to you for what you do like I say big shout out for your dad because uh, as a dad I can understand how difficult and expensive these things can be <laughs> but honestly it's it's been really good talking to you just just to reiterate anybody that doesn't follow you on Twitter and Insta I believe you're just at Away Day Joe on both will will find you in there but I'll be honest with you I think if anybody just searches Joe Bryant you're going to pop up anyway so really really good to talk to you really like to thank Joe for coming on and obviously for his dad for supporting him and I know every week we always give you guys the Twitter handles of our guests and stuff and but this time we really really mean it you have to go and look at this boy's Twitter page because these stadiums are unbelievable and the de- the detail that has gone into them is just incredible so you, you have to go and check them out. No, gen- genuinely, genuinely class. Uh, and, you know, he's only a young lad. When he was did the interview with us, he must have been absolutely bricking it. But uh, he held it together. But uh, let's move on. <laughs> right. But let's move on to this week's kit history. Kid history, kid history, we haven't made it up. Kid history, kid history, we read it on Wikipedia. For kid history this week, we are heading to London and a club close to Tom's heart with Chelsea. So Chelsea were founded in 1905. Just for any Chelsea fans listening, that's 25 years after Aston Villa started using the lion on their badge just to get rid of that silly little meth. Anyway, they were founded by Gus Mears, who created the club to occupy his newly purchased stadium, Stamford Bridge, after initially offering it to Fulham, by the way. The colours chosen uh, for the new team were blue and white, the racing colours of Lord Chelsea, the Earl of Cadogan. Originally, blue was much lighter and was worn with white shorts and black socks, with the shirt evolving into the now well-known shade before the kit's full evolution was completed in the 60s when manager Tommy Doherty changed the shorts to match the shirt and switched the socks to white in an attempt to make the kit more distinctive and modern. So how much of that did you already know then, Tom? I, I actually did know all of it. I love. I do actually like that fact about the blokes that built the stadium without a club for it, offering it to Fulham, who said no. So they were like, "Well, what the bloody hell do we do with this massive stadium we've built?" And they're like, "We need to make a club." Don't lie, Tom. He threw you right at the beginning when he said when they were founded. You thought it was two thousand and three when Abramovich bought them. <laughs> to be honest, I did wonder who the bloody hell is Chelsea. So I had a little look into that as well. So I'm just saying. So basically, Stamford Bridge did exist. Uh, pre-1904, which is when Gus Mears bought it. But it was basically used as like for what I believe was by like an athletics club or something. And they did like racing around it. And it wasn't fit for purpose for a football match in any way. So what he did is he bought it and he rented it, renovated it with the sole purpose of getting a football club in there. And yeah, as you say, uh, as we touched on in there, he did initially offer it to Fulham, who basically told him to... I was good. I was almost going to swear. Then they told him to go away politely um, because he was asking for too much money in rent. It's still used as an athletics track now by Christian Pulisic. Not much football goes on down here. <laughs> I was going to say it's still not fit for purpose for a football game. R- rumor is that we're looking at sites on Ells Court, which is not a good thing for me. But there you go. Maybe if Old Potter took you to a Hogwarts, you might do a bit better. That is absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coincidence that all these good jokes got stolen and then he comes much out. Like Chelsea, much like Chelsea's play, so at least it's on par. Right, okay. Let's move on. And uh, as usual, we're going to finish with Shirt Room 101. I give up. An absolute disgrace. 
I am flabbergasted. Analyze it till the cows come home. Shocking. I am. I am disgusted with it. Hi guys, it's uh, Mark here, Mr. ATEFC. Um, what I'd like to put into 101 this week is England's World Cup Home 22 shirt. Um, it's been inspired by the colours on the Euro 96 shirt. It's just an awful shirt. It's uh, overpriced for what it is. It looks like a training shirt. It's got to be the worst England shirt produced for a long time. I can't actually think of anything else that competes with it. Um, just feel that for a big tournament, you would think England would put something which is going to be memorable. And I just feel that it's just lazy. Um, be good to hear what your opinion is and uh, keep up the good work with the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'll kick this one off. If England fans hate it, I think we should keep it out of Room 101. I think you should use it for two tournaments. Okay, right. Let's look at this. So everybody's seen this kit. If they haven't, they will do very soon. You know, we're wearing it next Monday. Um, 2020 kit, most people have seen. Obviously, wore it at the Euros. 2018, fairly plain. 2016, grey sleeves. That was an awful shirt. I hope most people would would agree that was a pretty bad shirt. 2014, again, I didn't like that shirt. I thought it was pretty boring, pretty samey. We had that funny 2013 shirt that we didn't really wear very much. Didn't like that. Then we had the 2012 shirts, which were the um, Umbro Taylor by Umbro range, which were great. So, and I could go further back, but we, we, I mean, we, England, we haven't got a great track record of having brilliant shirts. So I wouldn't, wouldn't say it's a standout awful. Do I like it? No. Is it standout awful? Again, well, against the list of, I just read out, not at all. I, I, I feel sometimes I feel a little bit sorry for for Nike to be honest with you in a way because they're kind of damned if they do and they're damned if they don't because they've done something a little bit different with this one and everybody's throwing it back in their face if they'd have given us given us just sort of like a, a more of a like Liverpool had with the same similar template just a plain white shirt for for England I think everybody would have said it was too boring um, however having said that I do agree with what you said I don't think we've got uh, certainly since we moved away from Umbro, I don't think we've got a good track record of, of home shirts anyway. Um, I, I'm a bit like you, AD, to be honest. I don't hate it. It doesn't stand out as being awful. What I don't like about it is it is almost exactly the same as an old pre-match or training shirt that Nike did for England a few years back. I can't quite remember what year it was. Somebody pointed it out on Twitter. I can't remember who, but... Um, that would be my biggest niggle with it, is that it's almost identical to something we've used, but not even on the pitch. So, On a serious note, from me, I think the problem with it is the template. And I think where the shirt breaks down visually is the lack of blending. I think the blue detail on the shoulders is a good idea, but from the chest piece to the shoulders, it's too harsh. So from the neck to the sleeves, there's like a nice blend as the colour disappears to white. But from the chest to the neck, it's just a line of stitching and then dark blue. I think that's where, for me, aesthetically, the shirt breaks down. I find it quite a difficult shirt to talk about because my opinion of it changes quite a lot almost day to day. The negatives, I think, are obvious kind of along the lines of what you guys have said. that It looks like a training shirt. The, the big issue I have with it is the, the, the blue sleeve gradient, like the gradient blue on the sleeves. It doesn't match the shorts. The shorts are the same colour as the very mm. top of the shoulders. And that gradient is like a lost detail because it doesn't match up anywhere else on the shirt. And I find that an issue because I don't think it flows too well. Um, it does also look like one of those kind of JD sport or JJB sport like home baked efforts. But at the same time, I actually don't mind it. And I think when it's got the name sets on, it looks OK as a shirt. Like it's really hard to to kind of come down on either side of it. I think I think it's all going to depend on how well England do at this tournament, as as to whether I like it or whether I don't, because I'm so unsure on it, really. As it often does. But we're going to take the vote before England have kicked the ball. But can I just say, gentlemen, I think you reviewed that one hundred and one really, really well. It, you know, refreshingly, it lacks the performative cynicism and insecure sniping that we get in other weeks. So, well done, guys. I thought that was really, really good effort. Let's go to the vote then. Is this going to go into Room 101, Scott? <laughs> no. 
Mike, uh, I'm actually I'm actually going to say yes purely because of you are. apparent uh, inspiration from the Euro '96 year because that's just absolute nonsense. And I believe an England home shirt should have some red on it as well. And I'll just interject that this episode 45, Mike has not agreed with me once on a room 101. <laughs> Tom, what are you going to say? See, Mike, again, I agree. I think England should have some red on it. But I'm going to be positive and give it the benefit of the doubt. I think we shouldn't put it into 101 because if we win the World Cup, you've thrown a World Cup winning shirt away, which is... Not on. <laughs> Tom, if we win the World Cup, nobody's going to care what we said about yeah. this shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It won't if you anyway. win the World Cup, you ought to do it in that red shirt because it's it's a really nice shirt. You say that, but I hate the baby blue. If it was a navy blue... The, it's the badge. The badge should stay white. Anyway, it shouldn't have a gradient in it, like the washed out look. But anyway, um, for what it's worth, I, I really want to agree with Scott one week. I think I have agreed with him before. Uh, but I'm not going to agree with him this week. Might might won me over on it. Should have red, and I, I really like Mark as well. So um, yeah, it means it's a draw. It means he's not going in. There we go. Everybody wins, apart from England, who will draw three games and go out. Don't forget, everyone as well, to have a look on the socials. We've got a really cool giveaway that's ending tonight at nine o'clock, and you could win an air re-release of the Napoli home shirt when they won a Scudetto with Maradona. It's courtesy of the lovely Damien at RB Classic Soccer Jerseys. So, yeah, give us a retweet. Give him a retweet. Both of us a follow, and you could be wearing that lovely blue shirt next week. And we've got some more exciting guests and giveaways coming soon, have we, gents? Oh, Mike, this is your job to tell them about this one. Yeah, so we've got a couple coming up, actually. The the one I'm most excited about is m- this week, me and Tom actually pre-recorded uh, a feature with our... We're going to fanboy out about it again. We're going to say he's our podcast idol, uh, which is a former radio DJ and podcast royalty, Pete Donaldson. So that will be coming out next Monday and it is not to be missed. It is just pure, brilliant shirt chat. And it kind of evolved into a little J-League special as well. So, yeah, that is definitely one to look forward to. Yep. Some incredibly, incredibly exciting, fresh, original content coming to your ears. They think it's all over. Come on, Scott. Scott. Absolutely. You can't swear. Absolutely. Come on, Scott. Rock, rock, paper, scissors. If you lose, you've got to do it. I'll tell you what. If England win the World Cup, I'll do it. Fine. In that that case, yeah. In in an England shirt. Come on. If you don't think it's going to happen, that's a safe bet, isn't it? Who's buying it? I ain't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll we'll buy it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is now.